Welcome to City Talk, a podcast from City View Church in Northern Virginia. At City View, we're about Christ, community, and commission. Why is City View here, and what should we be doing? Our mission is to make disciples, helping people take their next step toward knowing, loving, and following Christ. City View must be a church that builds one another up, blesses our community, sends people and resources for the cause of Christ. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 9, talking about facing forward as we look back on a timeless mindset from the early church. Well, uh, good morning. Good to see you all here today. Um, you know, I just want to continue a topic that Pastor Jason was, had started on earlier today, um, because your perspective on matters is really important. And so for the record, Jason, they are called progressives. I highly recommend them, um, and I would like to welcome you to the old man club, because uh, I'm up there, and it ain't that bad. But progressives are awesome, because they help you see clearly whether you're looking down reading or whether you're looking up at people. And I knew that I needed them when I found that I would be doing teaching and I'm looking down, I could read, and then I'd stand up to look at people and everything gets blurry. What you see is really important because that's the perspective you have on things. You go where you're looking. You go where your eyes are. An experiment that I do not recommend you try is get on a bike in an empty parking lot, look at a lamppost and say, I'm not going to hit the lamppost, I'm not going to hit the lamppost, I'm not going to hit the lamppost. And what will happen is you will end up going into the lamppost because your eyes are on it. You are focused on it. You go where you're looking. We as a church family want to be forward-facing. So where are we going? Why are we here? What are we to be doing? You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Or look it up on your phone. We'll be there in just a minute in Acts chapter 9. But God has given his people, the church, a mission. Some of Jesus' parting words to us were, go and make disciples. And we want to take that out of just being a religious term. And so when we talk about making disciples, what we mean is helping people take the next step towards knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ. Because following Jesus Christ is something we do with our entire being. With our minds, we want to know him. With our hearts, we want to love him. With our hands and our feet, we want to obey him and serve him. We're called to make disciples. That is our mission. And here at City View Church, we want to be a church family that builds up our own, that blesses our community, and sends people and resources for the cause of Christ in our backyard, and all around the world. Building, blessing, and sending. So what might that look like? I want you to look back at an example in the early church. Acts chapter 9, just one verse we're going to look at. Verse 31, it says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our eyes 
as we look at your word today. Would you give us insight? Lord, you know what every heart in this room needs. And would you meet us there through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. The church was at peace. It was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, the interesting thing about this verse here is it's not so much talking about a specific mission or a specific task. It's talking about being. It describes what this church was like. And this is really important because it describes a culture more so than a mission or an activity. Because our mission ought to flow out of our culture, what we are like. And this verse tells us what a thriving, healthy church is like. Let me give you some of the context in Acts chapter 9. The stage has been set towards the end of Acts chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. We're introduced to this character, Saul. And Saul is the leading bad guy as far as the church is concerned. He led persecution against the church. He approved and helped those who stoned to death the first martyr in church history, Stephen. Paul was a bad guy. People in the church would have feared him. They certainly wouldn't have liked him. Then in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, we see, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 9, it says that Paul then went out and he was breathing murderous threats and he went on a special mission to the city of Antioch to round up Christians and get them thrown in prison. And while he was on the trip, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he converted. A complete 180 degree change. And in the space of a chapter, this guy, who had been public enemy number one to Christians, all of a sudden is helping and encouraging people. And it's in that context that the Bible speaks up and says, and they were at peace. And in the real context of this, the church was not being persecuted. It's like the church had a chance to breathe. Public enemy number one not only left them alone, but he became one of them. God is amazing. And that's why I think this peace that's been described is more than just the absence of conflict the absence of persecution. It's a peace that is also based on the unity that the church had. Because the church was awestruck at the greatness of God. Through the power of Christ, public enemy number one had not only become an ally, but was already taking leadership in the church. Anyone would have looked at that and said, God is amazing. And when you're excited about what God is doing, that gives you a unity and a peace. But you know, it's unfortunate there's a stereotype in church world that church people squabble over anything. You know, the color of the carpet. What? That's an outrage that that meeting hall has red carpet. It's supposed to be blue carpet. And then Christians bicker and fight over the littlest things. But a healthy church is a church where people are at peace with one another. Why? Because they're united around Christ and what he is doing. And when our eyes, 
when our perspective is on the Lord and what he is doing, when that is what unites us, that'll bring about a peace. Because the former things that we used to squabble over, from the color of carpet to the style of music, whatever it might be in church circles, when you see the greatness of Jesus, puts everything else into perspective, and it fades. A sure sign that a church has lost its focus and its purpose is when it's not at peace, when there's tension between the members. And that's because their eyes are off of Jesus and what he's doing. But when we have the perspective that he is what matters above all else, and we're amazed at what he's doing, that's going to unite us, and it's going to give us peace. The best way for a church to be at peace is when our rallying cry is it's all about Jesus. Because when we're captivated by his magnificence, when we're awestruck with what he has done for us, everything else is a detail. We'll enjoy peace and unity when he is the main character in our story. The church was at peace. The next thing we see is the church was being built up. The church was growing, and there are different aspects to this. For sure, it was growing in numbers. But there's more to build up than just numbers. It's not an accounting term. Building up really is about encouraging and building up. You know, I've coached youth sports for over 10 years now, and I have never seen a winning team where the coach harangues his players from the sidelines. Now, I see it all the time. I see bad coaches yelling at their kids, screaming at them from doing, oh, you shouldn't have kicked the ball that way. What are you doing? And when that culture infects a team, the team turns on itself. It'll never be a winning team. Positive coaching, encouraging, is the way to go. It's amazing when you can look over time and see a group of kids that you focus on what they're doing right, you build them up, and then they naturally will want to start doing the right thing and fix their mistakes. Or when you spent time encouraging them, it's a lot easier to point out the flaw and say, hey, you know, when you're kicking, you probably should rotate your foot like this, then move it. Oh, okay. We need to be about encouraging one another. You see, it's no different in church world. Anytime you're around people who are quick to point out your flaws and your shortcomings, first of all, you don't want to be around them. And second, that's really not going to fix your flaws and your shortcomings. The Bible is crystal clear in Romans chapter 15. It says this in verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. What a fantastic culture. We're all looking out for one another to build one another up. And as we build one another up, a lot of the, our bad habits and quirks and foibles kind of get fixed along the way. 
You know, there is no room in a church family for gossip or talking bad behind people's back. We're to build one another up. There's no place for cliques in a church culture because we're to build up, not look out for our own little circle. We're to be a family of people from all different backgrounds. And what we have in common is Jesus. And again, when he is the main character in the story, we will experience that peace and we'll be getting built up. You know, most of us in a regular day get reminded of our shortcomings faithfully. Maybe it's a boss at work who's overbearing. Maybe it's a teacher that makes you feel foolish. Maybe it's a conflict situation you got with someone. Or maybe you just look at your social media accounts and you go, I'm not living up to what any of my friends are like. We're reminded of our failures and our shortcomings all the time by the world. So we don't need to do that with one another. Now, to be sure, we correct one another. But that ought to be the smaller part of what we do. When we encourage and build one another up with what we're doing right, then that creates a culture that is just fantastic to be around. That creates a winning culture. You see, when you look to serve and to build up, when that is your first motive, then that's going to create a great atmosphere. No one, sorry, I'm just adjusting this thing, no one that I know of suffers from over-encouragement. You know, have you ever had to tell someone, no, no, that's enough. I don't need you to say anything more good about me. No thanks. Most of us have a deficit of encouragement. And the place we ought to go to be built up is our church family. And that is the culture we want to have. When you're reminded daily of how God sees you and how you are a valued part of our church family, you'll do anything for the Lord. That's the culture we want. When you look to serve and to build one another up, great things happen. You know, the Bible tells us that we ought to be competitive with one another in church circles. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, try to outdo one another in honoring each other. Try to outdo one another in honoring each other. That's a fantastic culture when you're looking out to see how you can bless someone else and encourage them, you'll build them up. That's what we want. Try to outdo each other in honoring one another. My prayer, my serious prayer for us as a church is that after every gathering we have, whether it's a Sunday morning or a life group, that you would leave it ready to run through a brick wall for Jesus because you're encouraged. And that's something that we have to do for each other. That's a culture we want established, built up. There's another aspect to being built up too. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is about intentionally choosing to get to know him better. And that includes your head and your heart. You have to know who he is 
so you can fall in love with him and so you can know what he says um, and obey him. It's an intentional growing in knowledge. That means that we ought to be students of the Scripture. We ought to be reading the Bible. Not so that we can stand up and win a contest over how much we know, but the more we read God's Word, the more we get to know Him. And the more you get to know Him, the more overwhelmed we ought to be with how fantastic He is. When we dwell in Scripture... That ought to be what shapes our mind. That renews our mind. It cleanses us. Yet, you know, far too many Christians can repeat all the lines in their favorite TV show, but don't have Scripture running through their mind. There's nothing wrong with learning the lines in your favorite TV show, but also make sure you know some Scripture as well, and that Scripture shapes the way you think. You know, there are certain things we ought to know. What is God like? things that we cling to. The Bible is inerrant. You can trust the Bible for anything. It is God's word. The only way we can be right with God is by coming to him through faith. And that once we believe, we can never lose what he has given us. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And we're going to see him face to face. Those are some of the core beliefs that shape the way we live. We ought to know them and live in light of them. The Bible exhorts us to study, to show yourself approved before God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. So being built up has a couple facets to it. One is the way we encourage one another and we seek to encourage rather than tear down or put in our place. That's the culture we want. We also need to be people who love to look into the Scripture and have that shape the way we think and live. Sometimes it's sad, though, when I see Christians who may know a lot, and they can even articulate you know, obscure doctrines, but their brains have run ahead of their practice. We need to apply what we learn. We, learn, we study the Scripture so that we can do what it says, not so we can store up knowledge and impress people. We want the Scripture to shape the way we think and live. So building up is about encouraging, and it's about knowing God through His Word. And there's something about this building up idea. If we're going to build up one another, we have to be around each other. You know, church attendance matters. It's really important. Not just so that we can have numbers in seats, but church is so much more than rolling out of bed to make it here at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Church is a gathering of God's people. The Bible says the angels peer at Christians worshiping, saying, man, I wish I knew what they had. And they're looking at us and they're saying, these guys have had Jesus die in their place and rise again. And then God himself, through his Holy Spirit, lives in them. That's awesome. What must that be like? Yet so often, we kind of just go through the motions. We've lost sight of the big picture. But the angels are looking at us, and they're saying, hey, guys, wake up. 
Do you realize how incredible it is what you have? Building up, we need to be around one another. You can't build one another up just by listening to a podcast. You've got to be around one another. Now, I know there's reasons we have to miss. Sometimes you're traveling, what have you. But church attendance is important. I'm not saying this legalistically. Because every one of you is in a place where on a Sunday morning, you need something that someone else there has to offer. Or you might be the person that Sunday that has what someone else desperately needs. And when we come to church... We come to church saying, Lord, I'm yours. How can you use me? Maybe I just need to be quiet and humble and listen to someone else. Or maybe, Lord, I need to be available and I see someone by themselves over there or they're down. Or sometimes you might talk with someone and they're going through a situation and you go, wow, I had to deal with that before and God helped me through it. And then you're able to help them with the help that God gave you. That's what church was intended to be. You know, over the next few weeks, we're going to get our life groups up and running. And I strongly encourage you to plug into a life group. We meet each week, gather around some food, enjoy friendship with each other, discuss God's word, and pray. And it's a smaller group. So as you get to know one another better, you can share some of the things that are really on your heart and on your mind. Have people who will walk through you, with you, through some of the deep things in life. Having a smaller group is so important. So I encourage you, plug into a life group. If you're not in a life group, find some of the smaller gathering where you've got people that will really walk with you. So we build one another up. And it's got to be done in person. That's the way it happens. Who can you encourage? Who can you build up? The passage also says another trait of this church. It says that they walked in the fear of the Lord. Walked in the fear of the Lord. Now, that term walk, when the Bible uses it, it really is they just do life fearing the Lord. That's the culture you have. And when we talk about fearing the Lord, yes, we should be afraid of God is awesome. He is huge. He could squash me at any moment. But it's much more than that. It's a healthy awareness of how great he is. Having a fear of the Lord basically means that you order your life around him rather than around yourself. When we fear the Lord... We're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, help me to be thinking of you as I walk through the hallways in school. Lord, please be on my heart and on my mind as I'm working on this deadline at work. You know, so often we put God in a box and we think God is just there for Sunday mornings or a church activity but God knows about everything we're doing. I've shared with you before, I won't go into the whole story, but I'm ashamed to say that it took me a long time to realize that God knows more about every subject than I do. 
At the time I was working at an engineer, as an engineer, we had a, a technical challenge that we just couldn't figure out. And I was consulting with a, with a small firm. We were actually in China with a group of atheist engineers. And um, we don't know what to do. And then my buddy said um, to this group of atheist engineers, we can't figure this out. We've looked at it for a couple days. We need to go and talk to our God, and we'll come back to you. And I wished I would have said, yeah. But instead, I just remember wanting to sink you know, down in the chair. But we went back to the, uh, the factory guest room we we're staying in. We laid out the plants on the table and prayed over them. And I'm telling you, in less than an hour, the solution came to us. And we were able to go back to these guys and say, we prayed, and we believe God revealed the answer. That got attention and spiritual conversations going on with them. God knows about everything. Don't feel that when you're at work, maybe you're an accountant, maybe you're a computer person, whatever you do, that that's kind of off limits for God. Bring your problems to him. Bring your, hey, Lord, I've got this situation. What do I do? And God is up there saying, I thought you'd never ask. Let me help you. Fearing God means that we have him first and foremost in our life. We say, Lord, I want to build my life around you rather than myself. You know, the spirit of our age is expressive individualism. I got to be me. I got to do things my way. But that's a bad way to live. Walk in the fear of the Lord. When a group of people fear God together, we'll march in lockstep to do the job that he's called us to do. I love the next phrase it says. It says, and walking in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I think this is probably a play on words because the Holy Spirit is also referred to as the comforter. Now, Comfort didn't translate real well into English for us because when I think of comfort, I think of a cold, snowy day, sitting under a blanket, watching football, drinking hot chocolate. That is comfort. But the comfort that the Bible's talking about here is much more robust than that. It's encouragement. It's exhorting. It's coming alongside and helping you with what you're doing. And that is where we recognize, I can't do this by myself, and I need God's help. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, God himself takes up residence in us through his Holy Spirit. The God who is too big and too great to fit into a temple built by hands says, I'll live in you. That's mind-blowing. And I think it's worth slowing down and stopping to think, whoa, the God who made the universe lives in me. That means when I am doing what he wants me to do, I'm unstoppable. That's a great way to live. That's walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We fear God and we line up under him. And when we do that, God says, you watch what I'll do in you and through you. That's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When a group of people are living life, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. God himself is working in you and through you. You're unstoppable. That's what we want. 
We need the Holy Spirit's comfort, encouragement, and empowering. Then the verse closes like this. It says, and it multiplied. You see, the first four things really are choices we make. We choose to live at peace. We choose to build up. We choose to fear God. We choose to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But then God brings about the multiplication. When an organism is healthy, it grows. When a church is healthy, it ought to grow. We have the greatest news in all of history. God loves you. He died for you. He rose again. He offers life to you. It's fantastic. God forbid we ever get bored with that. That ought to drive us. When we choose to align with God and do what he says, when we choose a culture that God wants his church, his people to have, he's going to grow us. We also need to position ourselves, though, to grow. And that means we need to grow so that we can help others grow. We need to help people take their next step towards knowing, loving, and following Christ. And we can only do that if we're taking those steps ourselves. You know, Christian parenting starts with discipleship. When we talk about discipleship, it's not something for the spiritual commandos. It is influencing those around you to take steps for Jesus Christ. And parents, we have a captive audience at home. And there's no better place to model it and to live it out and point those precious kids that God has blessed us with to Jesus. I'll tell you what matters to me more than anything else is to see my kids know, love, and follow Jesus Christ on their own. God has called us to make disciples. We need to get, we need to learn the tools and how do you help someone. If you're here today saying, I'm not sure what I would do, please don't leave here without talking with me. I'll do whatever I can to help you in this. We as a church leadership want to equip you and help you do the things that God has called us to do. We want the culture that's found in Acts 9, verse 31. May it be said of us here at City View that we're at peace, that we're building one another up, that we fear God and order our lives around him, that we know and experience the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we're multiplying. See, when this culture captivates us, when this becomes who we are, the natural outflow is we will do our mission. We will make disciples by helping people take the next step towards knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ. When we're in Acts 9.31 church, it is only natural that we will end up building up one another, that we will bless our community, and that we're going to send people and resources to further the cause of Christ all around the world. This building right here, 
Fire marshal says we can fit 250 people in this room. And we're law-abiding citizens here. So we can grow to be a church of one service at 250. If we were to grow at 10% a year, that would be a little bit shy of five years that we would hit 250. We don't want these seats filled just so we can say we have the seats filled. But I have to believe that there's another 150 people in this area that need the good news of Jesus Christ and need a church family. We could also become a church that has two services. We've got other rooms. We can have other things going on. We can have two services. We want to use this building that God has given us. It's an amazing story. Not many churches can say they've had a building dropped into their lap as we can. And it's all God's greatness and his goodness. But our goal was never to get the building so we could say, ah, we got the building, we can take it easy. We said, Lord, only give us this building if you will use us and this building to further your cause in this region. So let's be an Acts 9, 31 church. Let's fill this building Let's send people out. That's a story worth being a part of. May God do that in us. Building up, blessing, sending out. Get in a life group. We should have the information out next week. Get in a life group, pour into one another's lives. God is at work all around us. And we have the incredible privilege of being together on this journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and I thank you that you are doing something far greater, far bigger than any one of us as individuals. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you loved us so much, you gave us your only son, that all who believe on him shall have everlasting life. I will not perish. Lord, I thank you that that's not the end there. Jesus died. He rose again. He's ascended to heaven. And you have given us your Holy Spirit. You have not left us alone. Lord, help us to live life in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, not just around one another, but in the other six days of the week too. Lord, I pray that we would be a church where there is story after story of how you are working in us and through us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.